Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is the twenty fourth of January, twenty twenty three, and um, here's a special news alert. If you have one of those coffee makers that makes one cup of coffee at a time, and you forget that you already put ten or twelve ounces of water in that, you know, thing, and you put another ten or twelve ounces in there before you hit the brew button, um, it'll brew all twenty or twenty four ounces, even if you only have a twelve ounce cup. That that's just my little PSA this morning, and an introduction to how my morning has already gone. Uh, I've just included, I just am thinking that it's like an overflow of blessings. That's just how I'm trying to receive it and an opportunity to clean up that portion of my kitchen this morning, which clearly needed it. All right, today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, Psalm 18, verse 2. As I, re- as I read this verse, I want you to consider the deeply personal nature, deeply, deeply personal nature of what the psalmist is saying here. Remember, these are prayers often sung prayers. And so I want you to consider this morning praying this prayer and consider the deeply, deeply personal nature of it. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. That's an intensely personal prayer. It's an acknowledgement of who God is, who I am in relationship to God, um, where, where I know I need to go in times of trouble. And so I would love for you to personalize this verse today and be able to actually pray it yourself. Is God your rock? Is he your fortress? Have you received him as Savior? Are you building your life on the firm foundation of Jesus? Do you find protection from the stormy blast of life in the shelter of God's amazing grace? Is he your shield? The power that saves you, your place of safety, your relationship with God is intensely personal. God relates to you as a person, a particular person, and you relate to God as a person. I mean, you either acknowledge him or you acknowledge him not. But either way, it's a personal relationship. It's not um, a a relationship among equals. God is um, personal and God is a person, but God is not human in the same way that we are in terms of our limitations because we are created in his image, but we are not God. So is the Lord God Almighty your rock? Are you building your life on the certainty of who he is and what he has said? Is God the fortress, your place of safety, the one to whom you run for protection? Do you hide in the cleft of his care? Do you rely on his power to save you? God is mighty to save. 
And that's an offer he makes to you right now. All right, a very, very brief civics quiz this morning uh, before we jump into a conversation with our friend Mark Caleb Smith. Um, so this is going to be a simple quiz. I know it's early, early in the day for a quiz, but here you go. The Declaration of Independence is an amazing document. Yes, um, it is one that we learn early in our schooling um, or if we are uh, privileged to come to the United States um, and make this place our home, the Declaration of Independence is one of the first things that people learn um, in seeking to become citizens. I feel confident there are a few phrases that you know by heart, even if you've never thought about the fact that you've memorized portions of the Declaration of Independence. So fill in the blanks, like say out loud what goes in the blanks as I read a few lines from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Now, the next one has three parts, but I'm confident that you know what the three rights are that are listed as God-given to all people and articulated in the Declaration of Independence of the United States of America. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, You and I are not the only people who can... um, fill those blanks in, but the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, intentionally, intentionally left out life in her um, reproductive rights speech on January the 22nd, which notably, notably was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. You can listen to um, her speech and recognize that uh, there are other problematic points as well. In addition to leaving out life, she left out reference to the creator, but one thing at a time today, right? Let's be careful today what we speak. Let's uh, quote um, God as, uh, as he has actually spoken, and let's quote other things like the Declaration of Independence, you know, for what they actually say. All right, um, you've likely heard that there's a problem in Washington, D.C. with the control of some documents, classified documents in particular. We're going to talk about that next with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. God is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? No one. No one can harm me when the Lord God is near. No one. God is my All right, joining us now, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Good morning, sir. Morning, Carmen. How are you doing today? I'm well. Do you have any uh, classified or top secret, eyes only, SCIF-related documents in your possession or any place you've ever been? Mm -hmm. You know, I I really haven't been through my garage lately, Mm -hmm. so I suppose it's possible. I've got a few documents hanging out in my garage, but uh, there Mm -hmm. are a couple of boxes I can work my way through eventually. We'll see. 13 hours. Took the FBI 13 hours to uh, thoroughly search President Biden's Delaware home on Friday. Located six items containing classified markings. Um, Also, some notes related to those. Um, Quote, took possession of materials it deemed within the scope of the inquiry, including six items consisting of documents with classification markings and surrounding materials, some of which were from the president's service in the Senate. 
and some yeah. from his tenure as vice president. I actually think that the Friday documents are possibly at this point the most important um, because they are from his days in the Senate when he should have absolutely not had his hands on classified documents anywhere other than in a secure location. Yeah, I think I think it's hard to argue with that. Uh, senators, members of the House are not allowed to uh, take secret documents out of Capitol Hill. Uh, they have very strict protocols for handling secret material in that environment. Um, and unlike a president or a vice president, they don't have the need to travel with those kinds of documents. There's just simply no need to do it. And so, you know, the explanation I would really be interested in hearing um, why he has those and especially what the documents are. I agree with you. I think you know, a couple of weeks ago, I'd have said this scandal <clears throat> is probably going to be pretty minimal, uh, sort of just a tit for tat with the Trump administration. Now they're both guilty of something. Uh, but this, I think, potentially takes it to a different level. And President Biden should be worried. The Democrats should be worried because this seems to be growing. Um, and, it, you know, we'll find out eventually what those documents were. Um, and let's just say it's going to be interesting and potentially devastating for Biden. So here's the part that I just think as Christians, you know, let's just be quick to confess when we've done something wrong. Um, and let's not say there's no there there and we have no regrets when the right affect is to have regrets and to say, oh, you know what? There is some there there. And I um, and I take responsibility. Yeah, President Biden is trying to sort of pass himself off as the humble public servant who made a couple of mistakes here, but he's cooperating fully with the Department of Justice, he says, uh, and therefore there really is nothing, as you said, there's no there there. But, you know, I agree with Andy McCarthy. He wrote an editorial on National Review Online about this, and he says, really, the Department of Justice has been dragging its feet on this. There's no reason this search shouldn't have been executed in November uh, once they started discovering documents and other parts of Biden's um, you know, places Realm. where he is. Yeah. Realm. And yeah. Yeah. And so this has been an ongoing affair uh, and it appears that Biden has information to conceal. And I think it's a significant issue. And yeah, he should admit to it. And, you know, I think you raise an interesting question, you know, as believers, uh, our tendency, just like the rest of the culture, is to collapse this into the polarized politics that we have and say, well, you know, Biden did it, Trump did it. Uh, and to sort of claim the scalp for our side, whatever that means. But it's very possible that we just have two presidents in a row who are very sloppy or maybe even criminal in their handling of classified information. And it shouldn't matter whether they're Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal, whether you like them or don't like them. Uh, this is a significant issue. And we really need to hope the Department of Justice gets to the bottom of it. Yeah, this is a we the people problem um, yes. and not not an us or them problem. So I think that's really helpful to point out. All right. Um, we I want to I want to ask you next for an update on the leak in the Supreme Court. Um, somebody leaked information. It's now you know, that's now almost a year ago. But I want to mm -hmm. talk with you about what we think we know now about the leak in the Supreme Court um, and conversations surrounding that. So we're talking with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, 
all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. There'll be bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover tomorrow. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Um, I like to talk with Mark about things that are happening at at the national level here in the United States of America, because that's his his area of expertise, and then how we bring the mind of Christ to bear on those things. All right, so um, remind us what the leak was from the Supreme Court, and then bring us up to speed on the investigation as to who leaked it. So uh, last year, when we were all eagerly awaiting the Supreme Court to hand down the Dobbs decision, uh, and we all suspected the court would wait until June to hand that down, which is when they hand down usually their most controversial or historic cases. Uh, In May, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we get a thunderbolt, uh, a leaked document uh, that was a leaked draft opinion from the court that uh, suggested that Dobbs is going to be overturned or the row is going to be overturned um, and we're going to see this massive change. So this is a, a leaked opinion is historic. You know, we've heard leaks before from about what the vote might be and reporters had a sense of how justices were leaning in a direction, but a leaked document we'd never seen before. And as you might expect, this created quite a panic at the court itself. Uh, the court prides itself on being a buttoned-up institution. Uh, It's a very um, strict environment with handling information. And most of what they do is private, behind closed doors, where they uh, deliberate, argue, share drafts back and forth, and we really never see behind that curtain. So this is a massive security breach at the court. Um, An investigation was started, and from what we've heard recently, it seems that the investigation may be concluded without being able to identify uh, the leaker uh, themselves. And so the U.S. Marshals carried out the investigation. Uh, They provide security for the court. And it was a pretty thorough investigation from what we can tell. Uh, Close to 100 people interviewed, including the justices themselves. And uh, they've arrived at the conclusion that they still don't know for sure uh, who may have actually done this. Um, So it occurs to me that... um when we talk about these two conversations maybe um, together, and then we also look at things that are happening in relationship to, let's say, a former FBI agent who, um, you know, has now been um, charged with having really served duplicitously uh, with a Russian oligarch. Like, right, we have problems. We have problems um, with keeping ourselves contained the containment issue related to classified documents the containment what i mean you know whether or not uh it was when he was a senator or when he was vice president or now that he's president or the former president um classified information in in both of those branches appears to be um wandering about um we have uh, issues related to the supreme court and um and information that's supposed to be contained inside flowing to the outside um like why do we have such a problem like keeping our promise i I think keeping our promises like right you've committed to something as a servant of the united states of america as a public servant of we the people and you're not doing your job and you're not doing us any you're doing us a disservice when you are um you know working in ways that are 
contrary to what you said you do. Like, why can we not hold our tongue? There seems to be a real issue uh, right now, I think, with our elites. We want to be real pointed about this with our elites, our elected officials, uh, even places as high as the Supreme Court following the rules. And it's almost as if the rules are for part of our country and part of our politics, but not for another part of our politics. And Mm. uh, when there's this disjunction, when the elites seem to be playing by one set of rules and other people by another, you see a massive decline in trust in government. And Mm. we start to be suspicious of what government is doing. And we start to think, you know, there is no justice because these people never face consequences for what they do. Um, You know, we can even go back and look at prosecutions in cases where classified material was mishandled. And we've seen uh, CIA contractors and Department of Defense contractors and civilian employees and members of the military put in prison for months, years sometimes for their handling of information. And then we see people like David Petraeus and Hillary Clinton and now Donald Trump and Joe Biden seemingly face no consequences for this kind of behavior. And so this the disjunction is real. And I think we need to be deeply, deeply concerned about it. But, you know, your question, I think it's a great question. Why are we seeing more of this? You know, some of this, I think, is people being consumed with politics to the point where they feel like they can just justify their behavior. You know, yeah, I know this is wrong, but the stakes are so high. Or I know this is wrong, but this case is so important. Uh, I know this is wrong, but maybe I can change the outcome. Um, we have a real confusion with ends and means, you know. Uh, yeah, this is wrong, but if the end result is good enough, then yeah, I can just bend the rules here, break the law there, and hopefully it'll all work out in the end. Uh, and that's a real, it's a real shocking lack of ethics. And as a believer, uh, it's a betrayal of, of trust. And I, I don't think we can really defend it. All right, Mark, one more thing um, before we let you go. Um, so there's this new study by um by AEI. And it essentially what it's saying is um, there's this forecast that as fewer Americans identify as Christians, even fewer are participating in identifiable churches. Can you just read us in on this? I know we don't have time to thoroughly, um, you know, pick it apart, but has how has America changed? And maybe how do you forecast America will change as fewer and fewer Americans identify as Christians and even a fewer percentage of those who identify as Christians are still actively engaged in local local churches? Yeah, and the, the growth in the number of what we call nuns uh, in the social science world, people with no religious affiliation, no religious activity uh, is, is increasing dramatically. You know, now around a third of Americans, according to this survey, say they never attend religious services of any kind. Uh, we also saw a significant hit from COVID, uh, where a number of people uh, just dropped out of church at that point and, and did not come back. We also have seen a number, a growing number of people uh, go to church online. Uh, you know, 36% of those 77 or older now attend church virtually, as opposed to attending church uh, in a community setting. Uh, and I think these are all really worrying trends if you're an evangelical uh, and if you're a Christian in America at all. Um, there's no arguing that uh, we're we're looking at a declining influence of Christianity in America, and that shows up first in the pews. And if we don't attend church regularly, if we're not participating in the body of Christ, if we are not um, fortifying one another, one another to go out into the world and be salt and light, uh, then you got to think that's going to bring negative consequences to our country. 
Um, and I don't think, you know, you and I have talked about this. I'm not sure church, you can, I'm not sure really you can do the body of Christ virtually. And if yeah. people think that you can, uh, I think we're going to see even more dramatic ripples from this moving forward. Yeah, a little bit like I'm going to make, I'm going to draw a connection here to something I talked about in the open. Um, if Kamala Harris can leave um, the creator out of the Declaration of Independence and um, life in terms of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, um, and then we say, oh, you know, she can't do that. That's, you know, we don't, we don't, that's, that's not okay. Why is it okay with us to just a- a expunge verses from the Bible where God has actually said you're not supposed to forsake meeting together? Like, that's the word of God. Yeah. It's way right. more important than the Declaration of Independence. Um, and yet people just set that aside and they're like, yeah, that's not for me. I'm kind of a me and Jesus person. I'm good with church online. You know, God has actually said, do not forsake meeting together. Like God said that, not not Carmen. I'm just like a repeater. I'm like on repeat. Anyway, so there you go, Mark. I mean, I just don't think we can swing, you know, we, we can, I don't think we can swing against people in the culture who are who are misquoting cultural documents when we as Christians are saying that, well, God hasn't actually said what God has said about the things that are related to the body of Christ. So I think there's a connection here. Yeah, no question. You know, as with many things, this boils down to the authority of Scripture. And if we're willing to give in to that authority or not, is it about the Word of God or is it about me? And for, for all too often, we think that it's about us instead. No doubt about it. Yeah. Hey, if the Lord is your rock and your fortress, your Savior and your God, if you run to Him for protection as your shield, the power to save in the place of safety, um, yeah, that's the Word of God. So, too, is the instruction to not forsake meeting together as the people of Christ. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith, thank you. As always, you can find him um, online. He tweets at Mark Caleb Smith. You can also find him at Cedarville University. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Um, have you become uh, a child of God through adoption? Like God is um, gracious and merciful and wants to call us his children. And the way that we are adopted into the family of faith is through the good gift of, of God in Jesus Christ. And so um, if you're saved, if you're saved, then you are no longer, as Scripture describes it, a child of wrath. You are now a child of God, God's own son, God's own daughter, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Spiritual and eternal adoption is an act of God, um, and by his grace, we can be, be called the children of God. Adoption establishes um, our relationship as a beloved child of God um, and makes it possible for us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so if you're a Christian, you have a theology of adoption because you are living a theology of adoption. When we talk about um, adoption in the culture and in the context of children, minors, who need families, who need parents, who need homes, forever homes. Um, we look around the culture and we just recognize that there are many, many children living outside of 
not only the family of God, they're living outside of families altogether. So I wanted to highlight this. Matthew Straub is going to join us next. He's president of Heart Gallery of Sarasota, part of Heart Gallery of America. Um, I want you just to consider for a moment what these um, what these children are facing and um, the opportunity that exists in America today for people like you and me, Christians who have experienced adoption into the family of faith, to actually invite little children into our lives through adoption. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So speak life. Joining us now, Matthew Streb, president of Heart Gallery of Sarasota, part of the Heart Gallery of America movement. You can find what we're talking about today at heartgalleryofamerica.org. I recommend you just Google Heart Gallery of America because then you have access to the Facebook page and state-by-state lists. Matthew, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Paul, do we have Matthew? Yes, am I'm here. I, Thank you. Am I talking to myself? Hey, hey, Matthew. No, no. Hi, um, Carmen. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, all right. So what is um, Heart Gallery of America and why does it exist? Well, so basically we find adoptive homes for children, children whose rights have been terminated uh, and they're available for adoption. And this has been, you know, we've been we've been doing working with the Heart Gallery uh, since about sixteen or seventeen years ago, and it's a very simple concept. What we found out was that those children that were in uh, care and up for adoption didn't really have a way for them to advocate for themselves. And so what we did is we we went ahead and engaged professional photographers to basically take photographs of these children to capture their character and spirit and then display them in a public space. And we found on average that the adoption rate would go up by 25% when there was a heart gallery in a certain, in a location, you know, like whether it's a state or a County. So that's, it started in Santa Fe about 16 years ago uh, with uh, Diane Granito and it's expanded to over 80 heart galleries in the U S and Canada today. So you know, we affect about eight to 9,000 adoptions a year. Um, and these are the ones that are most difficult, Kate, the difficult ones that are older children maybe have a medical or behavioral issue or something like that. So, so how many kids um, are we talking about nationwide in the United States who are adoption eligible um, but but don't have a forever home? Right. So, so there's about, just to take a wider view, there's about 450,000 on average children that are in foster care in any given year, any given time. And of those 150,000 or so are uh, right, rights are terminated and are eligible for adoption. So of those 150,000, a lot, you know, there's a, there's a a big effort to put them with family members. um, But there's obviously the ones, you know, there aren't any families. So then those those of those 150,000 become available for anyone to be able to adopt them. Hey, can you, um, well, first of all, let me just invite everybody again to check out what we're talking about, heartgalleryofamerica.org. 
And again, I just type it into your search engine and you can, if you're more comfortable um, visiting with them on Facebook or directly on the web, you know, it's, it's all there. Um, Matthew, um, give us a, give us a, tell us a good news story because when a child finds their forever home, like it's not just that child's life that's changed forever. Like the world has changed forever. So can you, can you introduce us to one of these kids? Right. So, well, first of all, we take it obviously very serious. Basically we're saving these kids' lives. They don't, if they age out, they're basically put out into the, so you know, into the community with, I hate to say, you know, a few dollars and a, and a plastic bag full of their stuff. Um, there's not a lot of guidance. So that's, that's the end game for them if they're not, if they don't, if they're not adopted. So we take it obviously very seriously. Um, you know, we've had a lot of different, I guess, uh, Audrey, um, Audrey was the first girl that I was involved with where we had a, an adoption and a beautiful girl. Um, we put her up in the gallery and she was adopted by a family out of New York and was, was all was successful. Um, you know, we've had thousands and thousands of kids that have been adopted. And what I think some of the ones that stick in my mind the most are those that are medically challenged, um, even some that are non-communicative and, you know, basically physically impaired, and they've been adopted. I mean, there's no child out there in the heart gallery or anywhere that's up for adoption that is not adoptable and whose life can't be changed with a little bit of love and discipline. And you, you'll be shocked at how these children respond once they're put into a loving home and they're cared for and people, you know, direct them, you know, what's, what's right and what's wrong. So I've seen, you know, we've seen a lot of miracles happen. And what's really exciting is that, and what I'm excited about being on your radio show today is that we find that about 70 to 80% of the foster homes and adoptive homes come out of the faith-based community. Mm-hmm. And which uh-huh. isn't a surprise, but it's, you know, it's, a, it's a, you know, we really look at it as a responsibility for, for the faith-based, faith-based community because we can solve this problem. 150,000 kids is not that many when you look at it. Yeah, when you consider how many churches there are in the United States of America, if every church committed itself to saying, all right, it's going to take a family, but we are going to 100% fully support that family in in this and this child or this sibling set um, you know, they're not going to just become the sole responsibility of this um, of this individual couple or family. They are going to b- become our collective responsibility as the body of Christ in this place. I, I think about well, I think about churches across the country that are like looking for a mission <laughs> like, you know, they exist, but pretty much they just exist unto themselves and for themselves. And, and I think, you know, how would that local congregation and its witness be changed in addition to changing the life of a child and therefore changing the future um, of a community and a country. Um, and so if you're listening right now and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm a part of a congregation that needs a mission. What, what if you brought forward the idea of living into your theology of adoption as people who have been adopted um, through Christ into the family of God, into the household of faith? And what if you extended that into the reality of the culture of which we are a part and you helped one family in your congregation live into um, the theology of adoption by becoming an, an, an adoptive family for one of these kids eligible for adoption right now. 
I want you to see their faces and read their stories. The Heart Gallery of America um, is where you can do that, heartgalleryofamerica.org. Matthew, um, when you uh, when you think about the process, help people understand, like, the, one of the big questions that people are going to ask is, like, okay, if you're talking about a um, a medically challenged child, physically impaired, um, I'm going to need more resources than what I have available within my reach to do that because I know how expensive that is. Does Is there a way that these children continue to receive some kind of support um, beyond what, you know, a local family can bring forward? Can you can you explain to us how that yeah, works? Sure, definitely. So let me just, yeah, so let me just kind of walk you through the process. So let's say you know, you're interested in adopting or fostering a child. Um, you're gonna t- you're gonna take some training classes. Um, some a lot of those are digital, so you can do them at home. And then there's gonna be a home study where they're gonna you know you're gonna talk about your house and do you have space and do you have wherewithal to care for this child. And the ones that I'm talking about, like medically, a, a lot of most of the time, those children are adopted by qualified medical professionals like nurses or physical therapists. So they know what they're getting into. Okay. And they have the capability and the knowledge and training to care for those children, just like you would for someone that might have a behavioral issue, but are someone that is, you know, that's, that's faith-based a child is faith-based. You know, you might want to bring them into the, into your church, but once you um, have the home study, you do a background check and you do the training classes, generally the process will take about three to six months and then you would go out and look for a child. And that's where the heart gallery is so powerful because we allow parents to be able to look at different um, different children across the country from a very easy, you know, from basically looking through our website. And they can look at all the different heart galleries. And at the end of the day, uh, to be honest, everyone in there has a sort of a child in their own mind that's going to match well in their family. How are they going to fit mm-hmm. age? you know, gender, all those different things. I mean, that's just human nature. So we don't, you know, and so they're going to go out and try to find some, a child that fits that, that, um, into their family. And, uh, there'll be a matchmaking kind of opportunity where you'll get to meet the child and see if there's a connection. And, uh, and then, and then, you know, then it becomes a more or less a, a legal thing and a judicial thing. And everyone goes into the courtroom. And so that, that process can take, you know, anywhere from, six months to, to a year, depending on what's going on. The, the system is very overburdened. It's somewhat bureaucratic. So there's got to be a lot of patience involved. Um, but as far as the services that are, that are provided, every, uh, the federal government provides funding to all the states and the states then have the responsibility to be the guardianship for these children. And in most cases, the family gets, will get a stipend. They'll get uh, wraparound services for that child. So there's in, in the, their college is paid for their medical insurance is paid for. So they try to reduce the financial burden. Um, and then also provide, a, you know, services in case there's specific needs inside for that child inside of your home. So there is stuff, there is a lot of support there. Yeah. I just think that's really helpful for people to know because that's just not something we often talk about or um, or feature in conversation. Um, this is a child who um, does, I mean, comes as a blessing. They don't come as a burden. And I just think that it's super important for us to recognize that, um, 
Yeah, these are children who are precious in God's sight and they need families. Hey, Matthew, you and I have to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to let you say whatever it was you were just about to say. How's that sound? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Matthew Strub is here with us. He's the president of the Heart Gallery. Um, You can find what we're talking about at heartgallery.com. Of America.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Maybe you're thinking in this new year you'd like to change the world. Well, you can start by changing the world for one child. We're partnering with One Child Again, and you can sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. What happens when you sponsor a child through One Child? Well, you're going to be linked to a boy or a girl who lives in a country other than your own. Uh, And you're going to help supply for their tangible needs. Yes, they're going to receive the gospel of Jesus, but they're also going to receive educational assistance, supplemental food, clothing, health care services, and opportunities for love, friendship, and encouragement. The cost is just $39 a month, and you can sponsor a child right now at MyFaithRadio.com. So if you want to change the world this year, why don't you start by changing the world for one child? Sponsor a child today at MyFaithRadio.com. You are meant to be touching the lives you touch. And meant to be here making this world so much more than it would be without you. All right. Some of you are communicating with me on the text line that you are uh, you're trying to log on to um, heartgalleryofamerica.org and you're getting um, a a return response that uh, that you that you're not that you're not able to um, log on right now. So I'm uh, trying to figure that out um, and I will get back with you on that in just a moment. Um, we are talking with Matthew Streb. He is the president of the Heart Gallery of Sarasota, specifically of Sarasota, like talk with us about how that works. So, um, well, I can, every, um, so for example, there's 80 heart galleries in the U.S. and Canada. There's there's 11 of them that are in Florida, as it turns out. And basically what we do is we we work with a local child welfare agency and we have access to to the children and we engage local photographers and they go out and, and they basically were organized for them to go out and take the photographs of the children. And what used to be, you know, then we would put these, these photographs in physical places. Now it's all, it's mostly digital. So what we found out, you know, we average in our area about a hundred inquiries a month for, uh, from, from prospective foster or adoptive families. And, um, we, um, we, we basically engage those families and we direct them on what to do, how to get in, involved in the process, how to do the training and how to make all of that um, become, you know, uh, adoptive or foster families. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, and we walk them through the process. So there's, you know, there's, there's different events that go on throughout the year. And one of the things that we do that's really engaging for the faith-based community is I don't, you know, first of all, these children are not in, up for adoption through no fault of their own. A lot, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it was, it's just the circumstances that they ended up in these situations. Um, But what we do is we found out that when uh, a removal officer will go to their home, they will actually um, give them a a trash bag, a a plastic bag and say, go get your things. And they Mm -hmm. may, they have to decide what they're going to get. And then they, and they may never come back. And so we just didn't think that was right. So what we've been doing is we engage uh, the the local churches and temples and 
and we basically do what we call luggage drives. And it's a really good way for us to get inside of the congregation to educate them about what's going on with, with these children and how they can help really with a simple thing by, you know, getting luck, collecting luggage. We put in a prayer, prayer inside the luggage. We give them a toiletry kit, maybe whatever, depending on their age. And then we're able to get up in front of the congregation and explain to, to, the, to them. And that's where most of our inquiries come from is through that, that kind of an effort where we do faith-based um, you know, education inside the church. And we usually work with the pastor to the, you know, they'll, they'll teach a sermon. Um, and that's been a really good way for us to stay connected in the community um, rather than just going in and you know asking them to be adoptive or foster parents. So that, that's, that's right. been very helpful for us, yes. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So if you're listening right now and you're a part of a congregation and you're like, gosh, I, want, I just wonder like how to take the first step. All right, so um, I'm sure that Matthew would help you figure that out. Um, but there is a local expression of the Heart Gallery of America in your state. Um, and so, Correct. Matthew, right now, when I try to go to the website, I am having the same... Um, challenge that others are having. So I'm going to send everybody to Facebook right now. Um, If you go to Facebook, Heart Gallery of America um, loads right there and and you can see what's going on Um, and precious children and information and articles um, about this. Um, And so um, maybe, maybe for right now, go to Facebook as your, um, as your place of linkage, and then we'll figure out why the why the website, you know, it's, 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 it's that kind of day sometimes. Um, websites it's technology. Don't work, so there you go. It's technology. Yeah. Um, I love but we the have idea. Heart galleries. I, we're go quick, uh, Carmen. We, there's yeah. heart galleries in every locale. So if you just search heart gallery, you'll find one that's close to you in most states or, or, or cities. And that's really the one you want to engage with anyway, because you're going to, you're going to be looking for children that are, that are more local to you. The, the, okay, so the child welfare just... agency. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say this. So for those of you listening in Minnesota, minnesotaheartgallery.org, minnesotaheartgallery.org. And if you do that, that website comes up right away. So there you go. Um, And if you just type in Heart Gallery and then the name of your state, um, you're going to get the same kind of thing to return for you. But if you're in Minnesota, minnesotaheartgallery.org. All right, go ahead, Matthew. I interrupted you. No, that's it. So that means because you're going to be working with the local child welfare agencies anyway to get that training and get that and then get licensed to be an adoptive parent. So you'll have to do that. Hey, what if there's a photographer? What if there's a photographer listening and they're like, I would love to volunteer for this kind of ministry? Again, they would go to their local heart gallery, wherever they're located. They're they're always looking for photographers, professional photographers. So we have that. over 8,000 photographers that donate their time and materials. It's amazing. Yeah, It's really, that's where the magic happens. Because imagine this child who's been, in their mind, they're probably angry. They're alone. They're feeling, you know, totally disconnected. And, and this child, you know, they're taking a big risk by getting their photograph taken and put in the public space. Because mm-hmm. their other classmates are going to see this photograph probably. Mm. They really want to get adopted. And so, but what happens is when we, when we get the child together with a photographer, you can imagine that photographer has to earn the trust of that child immediately within minutes to capture the character and spirit and be able to get that child to advocate for themselves. And that's really mm-hmm. where the magic happens. I mean, we're just facilitating that process. But if you look at those photographs, you're going to see that child come alive 
inside of that photograph. And in many cases, these families will fall in love with the child through the photograph. And that's what carries them through the whole process. And that's why this is so powerful because we need to have that, that, that photograph continually reinforces. Why am I doing this? Why am I making this effort? Why am I going through this process to help this child? So that, that's mm. why it's so important. All right. As I'm scrolling the pictures at minnesotaheartgallery.org, um, I got to tell you, these are beautiful kids. And most of them, Matthew, appear to be older teenagers, like most that's of them. Right. I mean, there are a few, like, you know, kids who look like they're about 10, but most of these kids look like they're 15, 16, 17 years old. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, what's really been sad over this process is we've refreshed those photographs every year and you start seeing these photographs stacking up in the corner, you know, eight, seven, eight, you know, 10 photographs of 10 years that these children have been, have not been adopted. And they just sit, you know, they, otherwise, you know, they're mostly, if they're not in a foster home, they're in a group home. And the group home is kind of, it's sort of where they learn their bad behavior, to be honest with you. And so we're trying to avoid all those different situations, but you know, when they get older, it's, it's more difficult to, 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 uh, you know, for them to find a family. And those are the ones we're really focused on because if they age out, it's really difficult, really difficult for them. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, hey, welcome. a friend, friend checking in on the text line from Canada says, Canada Heart Gallery, loading just fine. All right. Well, there you Perfect. go. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. Yeah. What we want you to do is in your search engine, type the words Heart Gallery and then the name of your state. Um, and you will be able to um, to find what we're talking about right where you live. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Carmen. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Have a good day. You're li- you too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Okay, I'm doing all the work on the Googler for you today. If you are in Washington State, yeah, that didn't exactly work for you when you typed it in, but you're looking for the Northwest Adoption Exchange, nwae.org. All right, if I can get the Googler to tell me, uh, you can probably get the Googler to tell you. But that's okay. That's what I'm here for. People don't like to Google. They like to Carmen. So if you want to text me, 877-933-2484, because you're like, I don't want to Google. I want a Carmen. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Uh, you can hit me up uh, on the text line, 877-933-2484. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. I'm going to go see if I can get the other 12 ounces of my coffee that all came through um, when I tried to make a cup of coffee just prior to the first hour, um, which ended up all over the place because, again, 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 if your cup is only 12 ounces, you can't make 24 ounces of coffee. It just doesn't work that way. That will be my primary insight for the day. Um, I hope you're having a great morning. Thank you for sharing so much of it with me. We'll be right back with another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.